the, the boat after the service. So last week I was planning on sharing on uh, spiritual warfare. I felt like God was leading me into that last week, and then God had other plans in mind. We worshiped the whole time, and I had a great time. Hope you all did too. I, I, I just, I just, I like spending time with Jesus. I don't know if you guys know that, but I do. Sometimes at home, I will go a couple hours, and I don't even realize it. And I'm like, oh man, I got to go do something else, because it just, the time just went by, and I'm just worshiping, and I'm praying, listening, or journaling, or something, and just like, oh, I got to go pick up Lauren, or I got to go do this, or I got to do whatever. So I like it. If you, it's, it can be an acquired taste, but the more you get to know Jesus, the more you're going to want to spend more time with him. The more that you realize how much he loves you, the more you want to be with him. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what spiritual warfare is and what it's not. It's not yelling at the devil. It's not calling devil names. Uh, we don't want to act like the devil to try to cast out a devil. Amen. We were, that was pretty good. I just thought uh, we, um, we don't need to act like him to command him to leave us or alone or whatever. We want to act like Jesus. Jesus, uh, I mean, sometimes he said, he, every time he said scripture, but the only thing he ever said that was slightly different was, uh, get behind me. Get behind me. You don't see any of the record of him saying anything else to him because he's not wasting his time talking to him. Amen. So we're going to look at some of those things, but we don't need to change our temperament or personality when we're dealing with the devil. We're going to, um, Jesus never did that even when he was extremely hungry. You know, when you get hungry and you get grumpy and you got those snicker commercials out there that you're not the same when you're hungry. Even then, Jesus acted the same in that time. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of these things because I believe it will bless you to know what it is and what it isn't. Uh, it's always going to involve faith, and it's always going to involve love. It's always going to involve hope. It's never going to involve fear, okay? So a, a few months ago, I saw this post on Rachel Poir Jones's Facebook page, some of the family clans here today, and uh, I just really liked this quote in the whole conversation on that post was about spiritual warfare and how if it's so important in the, in the Bible, why is it not taught more in church? So the, the, que- the uh, quote is, while most of us have been taught that it is every believer's task to be a witness of Jesus Christ, and even trained and encouraged to witness, at the same time we have not been schooled that it's every believer's task to be a Christian soldier active in spiritual warfare. That was a quote by Fred Hammond. Then Rachel went on to ask, how many of you, my Christian friends, are familiar with pulling down strongholds, resisting the devil, and how to wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers, of darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places from Ephesians 6.12. And you know, some of them said yes on there, but many of them said no. They've never taught about that. They've never heard about that. They don't even know uh, anything about that. But, you know, I find that very strange. The Bible says that we wrestle against those things. We're not wrestling against each other, people, governments, uh, political powers. We're not wrestling against them. They impact our life sometimes, but that's still not what we're wrestling against. We're wrestling against spiritual forces of wickedness, and a lot of the church doesn't know how to do it, or what it looks like, or what it's supposed to be, and it seems like it's wrong to me that here, it's like, good luck, guys, here you go, here's your battle, but we're never going to tell you how to do it. I mean, how, how do you be successful at that? So many people have been hurt and wounded by minor spiritual, like minor level demonic attacks because they just didn't know what to do. Like something you could have just had a little bit of training, and it just would have been not even, even happened in your life if you had a little bit of teaching in it. You know, and the Bible says, my people perish or are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. It's not knowing who we are in Christ, not knowing the authority of the believer, not knowing that those spiritual entities do not have authority and power over you unless you give it to them. Without your consent, 
They have no power, dominion, or authority over you. So what you don't know can hurt you. And so we need training these things. So we're going to start looking into Ephesians 6 and some other things. Today I'm going to be just looking at some of the devil's schemes. And next week we'll look at more of uh, the, the right way, I believe, to do spiritual warfare. And that, what the spiritual warfare is going to look like is going to look like Jesus' return in Revelation when he has a sword coming out of his mouth. Okay, there is no spiritual warfare without the sword of the Spirit. Okay, without faith. Every battle we're going to win is a, we're going to win through faith. Amen? Amen? There is no other weapon, all right? It's faith. So Ephesians 6, 10, 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, wiles is not a word we use much today, so I looked it up. It's the word methodia, and it's where we get our English word for methods, a method. So the devil has methods, and they're not random. A, de a further definition of this word says a predictable preset method used in organized evil doings or well-crafted trickery. Okay, he's not unorganized. He's, he has strategies. It's organized strategies. It's well-crafted trickery. It also means to lie in wait to deceive. So he has methods, schemes, and trickery that he's organized these well-crafted trick things against us. But it also says it's predictable. Part of the definition is predictable. There's a pattern to it. And you can see it in other people's lives. You can see it in your own life. There's a pattern to it. And if you can learn the pattern, you can see what is predictable. You can actually know when to expect it sometimes and have your armor ready to go. Amen? So verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So again, our battle is not against people. It's not against a former pastor. It's not against your mother-in-law. It's not against your boss. It's not against Joe Biden. It's not against, you name who, it's not against Hitler. It's not against anybody. It's not against them. Okay? They're not the enemy. Amen? God's really convicted me this week about praying for Joe Biden. Just so you know, it's a side note. I journaled about it a lot. Do I agree with some things that he's saying and doing? No, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know hardly anybody that does, really. To be honest, I don't personally know him. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, but, but the call is not to agree with him. The call is to pray for him. And if we can't cry over him, if we can't pray and cry over him and forgive him and repent of the sins, because he's not alone in this. If we repent of the sins of our country, repent of the sins that's happening in our land, and pray and cry out for him, God can shift everything. And we're focusing, I think, too much on the problem and not enough on the solution. The solution isn't more votes. We, we already know what happened there. I was just saying, anyway, <laughs> sorry. But, uh, but I'm just saying, it isn't more votes. It's more Jesus. It's more Jesus. That's not the solution. Anyone can hack a thing and change the votes to whatever. That, that, we don't know what's going to happen next, but we need more of Jesus. We need more Jesus in this country, in our schools, at work, at home. We need real Christians to rise up for who they are. Don't focus on the problem. You're not going to get out of the problem by focusing on the problem. Get out of the problem by focusing on the solution. It's Jesus. Okay? I think some people have exchanged the, 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 uh, the spirit of religion, and they've caught up in the spirit of the political spirit. And I'm telling you, it's just as deadly as a religious spirit because it's, it's a distraction. It's taking your focus off of Jesus and onto the problem. 
The problem's not going to be fixed by studying politics and listening to every political podcast out there of scams and schemes and all that kind of stuff. Those things have been going on for thousands of years. They happened in Jesus' day. They really did. I'm not saying I like it. I don't like it. I hate it. But I can't fix it. I personally can't fix it by complaining about it. I can't fix it by grumbling about it. I can't fix it by my Facebook posts. I can't fix it by that. But I can do my part by getting on my face and on my knees in prayer and, and declaring what God says over our nation is still true. Because what you end up doing is you, you start prophesying the devil's word and what you're hearing, what you're complaining, what you're grumbling about. You're, you're prophesying evil instead of prophesying good because you're not hearing from heaven. You're hearing the news, you're hearing the media, you're hearing this stuff, you're, prophe you're prophesying it. You're declaring it into the heavenly realms. You're saying, this is, our country's never going to return. Our country's never, we're just handed over to the devil. We're just this. No, we're not, in Jesus' name. No, we're not. You know, stop saying stuff like that. It, this is God's country. This is his land. The whole, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The devil owns nothing. Nothing. He doesn't own Afghanistan. He doesn't own Iraq. He doesn't own Iran. He doesn't own anything. He owns nothing. We're giving him way too much credit. I must have something funny. <laughs> so stab something. You remember that from from Tuesday night? Anyway, we're giving way too much credit. So I just want to encourage you. If you're caught up listening to too much of these conspiracy theories, I'm telling you, it's a distraction off your life. It's a distraction from the calling of God in your life. You are not called to be a politician. You probably wouldn't be living in Plumtree, <laughs> right? You'd be living in Washington. You'd be living in a bigger city. You're not called that. You're called to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and pulling down strongholds and principalities and powers and shifting the atmosphere over this region, over our country, over this globe by faith in Jesus and prayer. It's a distraction. They can make all the noise they want. It smokes and, it smokes and distraction. What did God say? What did he say? And that's what we need to get back to. So our battle's not against people. There's an invisible battle going on in the spirit realm that we're a part of. The New King James uses the word wrestle, but other versions say struggle, fight, battle, war, and combat. So there's this battle, this wrestling match going on in the spiritual realm between us and the devil and his cohorts. Whether we feel it, whether we want to be a part of it, whether we sign up for it or not, you're in it. The world's in it too. Whether you're saved or not, you're in a spiritual warfare battle. And I don't always like it be honest. I don't like fighting my own battles, let alone trying to fight someone else's either. But I'll tell you what, when people grow up in Christ, we don't have to fight their battles for them. We can teach them and train them. They can fight their own battles and win. Amen? You are destined to win. There's not a loser here among us. Christ, God Almighty himself, lives on the inside of us. He is right in our DNA of our, our, of our body. He's in us. So I don't know much about wrestling. You know, I... I I don't, I really don't. I know it's about positioning angles and leverage and stuff like that, but, you know, the strongest person doesn't always win. It's the person who has better training and better strategies. And, uh, I know Gerald knows a lot about wrestling, but I, I don't. You don't see him here today. But my experience of wrestling was WWF with Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage and Jake the Snake Roberts, and we go out in the yard after and try to practice those moves on each other and do this pile driver and, poof, and drive our friend's head into the ground or DDT and, poof, and drop their head down. That was, that was what wrestling was to us, and mom and dad didn't like that too much. He tried clothesline on somebody and knock them down. That was, that was wrestling to us, and we did it in the yard all the time, and thank God we made it. Uh, 80, you know, 80s kids, they, they were... They're a lot more active than today's pampered 2020 kids. I mean, they, you can't you can go outside today. You're like, oh, my gosh. And we did all kinds of stuff. Uh, we, and somehow we made it. And anyway, but uh, back in March of 95, I went to uh, my second missions trip to Ukraine. 
with Christian Sports Outreach International, and I was playing basketball over there. We traveled with a bunch of different sports teams, and uh, we'd, we'd uh, preached and shared the gospel with them at halftime or before, uh, before the game. And our first trip, uh, first time we went, was like in 93. We had like between five and 10,000 people, I can't remember, gave their life to Christ. The wall just came down. We were some of the first groups in there preaching Jesus. And almost everybody you asked was talking to them. Oh, yeah, I want to see Jesus. It was almost everybody. It was amazing. So my second trip in 95, it was in March. I had my 22nd birthday there. Uh, went to this sports compound where they trained these young children to become Olympic athletes. It's kind of like an orphanage, but it's like they're training to be Olympians. It was kind of sad. They all looked very depressed. They had a lot of wrestlers and gymnasts in there. So before we did our presentation with music and me sharing, uh, us, somebody sharing their testimony and, and the gospel with them, um, we had a little free time, a little downtime, and I said, hey, I, I'll, I'll challenge one of these kids to wrestle over here. I'll, I'll do it. I'm like, I, again, all I knew was WWF moves. And uh, so like, just for fun, I mean, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll, I'll wrestle one of these guys. And you can put the picture up there. I was uh, 22 at the time. This guy was 15. doesn't even look 15. But that kid smoked me, man, I'll tell you what. So uh, I told the chancellor, I said, listen, I've never done this before, so you got to tell this guy to take it easy on me. I mean, take it easy. I, I don't know any moves. I have no training. I, I just, I don't. So here's what he goes and tells them. Now, listen, you got to bring your A game. This guy's the Canadian Olympic champion. <laughs> he told him I was a Canadian Olympic champion. And I'm like, he said, you got better bring your A game. You're going to get embarrassed from all, those, all these people from America and Canada that are here watching. You're going to get embarrassed. He's like, okay, okay. So I had no moves, nothing to what I was doing. So it's Greco-Roman wrestling, know nothing about it. You start off by holding each other's shoulders like this, right? And so I was like, all right, now, now what do I do? And so, uh, so the guy says, go. And so I pulled the kid towards me like this, put my leg behind him, and threw him on the ground. I was like, yeah, like that. And all, all my friends were like laughing so hard. They're crying like, minus one point, that's a legal move. Like, legal move, that's my only move. I was like, I don't even know what else to do. Like, he goes, you can't, I guess you can't use your legs in Greco wrestling or something. That was the only move I did on that kid. And uh, by the time we finished, he had me in some pretzel move and bent, bent me up in ways that I didn't even know my body could move. And had my nose is bleeding, I'm pinned to the mat, like, all right, all right, you win, you win. And I was just like, man, I, I uh, man. So even though he's a lot smaller than me, he wasn't stronger than me, but he had training. And he knew what, he knew what kind of moves, he knew how to push some spots in my body. I'm like, oh, and poke this or twist that. And man, I was like, I need a chiropractor or something after that. But even though he was smaller and weaker than me, he still pinned me and made me submit because I didn't have training experience. And I'm concerned in the church where we're being pinned and made to submit to a weaker and inferior power out there because of lack of training, lack of education of who we really are in Christ. You know, the more you hear about these things, the more you hear about demons and spirits and stuff like that, the less you'll be afraid of it. You're only afraid of it because you haven't been taught about it. You're only afraid of it because you haven't been exposed to it. You're only afraid because you haven't seen uh, how much power and authority is in you through Christ. We had two manifestations of demons just last Sunday in here. It happened twice. And guess what? We took care of it. And guess what? Everyone's okay. We made it. We, nobody died. All right? We're okay. They are inferior power because of Jesus. Amen? So I'm concerned about that. And I'm concerned that others that hold this extreme sovereignty of God teaching, which we do believe God is sovereign, but when you believe in the sovereignty of God to the extreme and you believe that everything in their life comes from the hand of God, everything then there is no room for enemies. There is no room for uh, the devil. There is no room for things like that. And, and those people, they don't even know there's a fight to fight because they think everything that happens in life, well, it came from God. 
So since it came from God, what do you resist? What do you reject? What do you fight against? No, you just embrace it all. God's punishing me. He's smiting me. He's teaching me this lesson. And it's all religious garbage. I, I mean, it's really what it is. I'm, just, I, I'm not very PC, politically correct. I'm just not. But it just is. Like, it's not, just not true. And to, to believe, I, I mean, we're an EPC Presbyterian church. That's what we are, right? We believe in the sovereignty of God. But when you believe to the extreme, there's no room for some scriptures. To believe to the extreme, you have to delete some scriptures out of your Bible. Like verses like Ephesians 6 we just read. Verses like James 4, 7 where it says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Where is the room for that if everything coming your way is from God? Or, uh, or 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be self-controlled and alert because your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So guess who they're going to devour? The one who's believing in the extreme sovereignty of God and doesn't even know there's a fight. They're going to spit him out and uh, pop the bag and eat his lunch, pop the bag or whatever the saying goes. Uh, yeah, anyway, so it's not going to go well for them. But if you have training, if you know who you are in Christ, you don't have to be afraid of the enemy's strategies, his methods and tactics. Amen? So, um, you know, and often people think the promised land of the Old Testament is a type and shadow of heaven, but it's not. It's not a type of shadow of heaven. Are there wars in heaven? Is there killing and death in heaven? Is there giants in heaven to be us to kill and hit with rocks in the forehead? Is there sickness and disease in heaven? Is there, are there demons in heaven? No, there's not, right? There's, not, there's none of that stuff. So we can see it wasn't a type and shadow of the promised land. It's a type and shadow of the New Testament church of what we're going to be walking in on the other side of Christ. It's a type of our New Testament believers' calling and life of the spiritual warfare we're going to have to walk in on this earth as Christians. That's the type and shadow. It's not a type of heaven. They still had lots of things to do. They had fights to do. They had wars to win. Think about this verse in Hebrews 3, 16 through 19. It says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not, they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So unbelief or a lack of faith held some people out from entering in the promised land. And some of them were delayed by, some of them that did have faith actually were delayed by 40 years because of corporate unbelief. Just saying, ouch, was right, but, it's, but it, ha- it happened. So 40 years later, they entered in by faith, but guess what? They still had to have faith once they got in there because they still had more battles to win after they entered their promised land, didn't they? Think about this. Think about the Battle of Jericho. Uh, that, that's a strange way to fight right there. You're going to walk around this city, you know, seven times and blow your trumpets and make a bunch of noise and seventh day, break a bunch of pots and make a bunch of more noise. And then the walls are going to fall down, and you're going to kill everybody. <laughs> but you had to have faith to fight that fight. Think about uh, Gideon's battle. He fought 120,000 men with 100, and, or, excuse me, with 300 men. 120,000. I wonder how many that'd be. How many counties we'd have to add together in our area to come up with 120,000? But it'd be a bunch, right? With 300 men, that takes faith to be one of those 300 guys, doesn't it? How about David when he fought the lion, the bear, or Goliath? It took faith each time to fight those battles. And guess where those battles happened? They all happened in their promised land, didn't they? You read the Bible, right? They did. So 
we enter our promised land by faith, but in our promised land there are still fights we have to fight. That's why he said fight the good fight of faith. Amen? Now, obviously, there's a difference in how we fight in the Old Testament and how they fought in the uh, Old Testament versus the New Testament, right? We don't battle flesh and blood like they did. We're not going out killing people and making people submit the way we want to do things. There's another way to fight, and the Bible says it's a better way. It's a better way. Some of you wish you had the old way, right? Uh, and, but there's a better way. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh that's in this body, this temple, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty. They're not weak and wimpy. They're not second to a grenade or to a rocket launcher or some other bazooka or something. They're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. There's a lot of stuff right there. But the weapons of warfare are not carnal, they're not worldly, they're not fleshly, they're not of this world, they're from another kingdom. They're from another kingdom, we need to know how to use them. And they're, but they're mighty through God for pulling down the things you're fighting against. They're mighty through God. In the Amorite, it says uh, the word for strongholds can be translated rebellious castles. We've been given authority to pull down rebellious castles in the spirit realm. Not over in England or something like that, or some kind of rebellious castle. But in the spirit realm, you have authority and power in Jesus' name. So the word declares that even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I would say most of the church doesn't believe that at all. I, I would say most of the church would not believe that at all. Because to them, if they ran into a demon, they'd be running as fast as they could in the other direction. And I, you know what? In this house, I wanted to be running in that direction. Running towards the person with love, not running away from it. Like David with Goliath, he didn't run away from Goliath. He knew he wasn't alone. He had Christ with God in him towards him, and he, he won the war. And we got to run in love to help somebody when they need help. Amen? It's not the person. It's the demon in the person we're trying to get out. The person can stay in her church. Amen? The demon's got to go. <laughs> Amen? So Ephesians 6 goes on to say, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the, the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore with having girded your waist with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and having, your feet, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you, you, not God, you, will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. How many of them? How many? And, how, and who does it? You do. You do, right? All right. And taking the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and praying always with all prayers and supplications in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. So verse 13 says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to take your stand against the evil day. Every day is not evil. The devil's not omnipresent like God is. He's not everywhere at the same time. In Job, God said, where have you been? He said, I've been here and there and wandering around everywhere. There's other verses talking about him walking and going from place to place. He's not everywhere at the same time. He is not as powerful as the church has made him out to be. He's a defeated foe. 
He's defeated by Christ. He made a public spectacle of him in the heavenly realm and showed a public display of him. He's been defeated. We have victory through Jesus. It's not just a song. It's a lifestyle. Amen? So uh, our enemy is not omnipresent, but they do have some days that are evil. There are some days where there's an attack he sends your way or my way. And on that day, there's armor that God Almighty himself has given you to prepare you for that day so you can stand and keep standing until that thing is uh, removed and gone out of the way. It's given up or quit or you've defeated it. Whatever happened, it's gone. There's an armor that he gave you, a spiritual armor that we wear that you can win every spiritual warfare battle you come up against. But, you know, if we're in this extreme sovereignty of God camp, there is no war. There is no battle. There is no fight. There's no sense of armor. There's no sense of anything because everything happened and our life came from God. And I want to say that it didn't. You know, it didn't. When you were, somebody did something to you that wasn't good, wasn't godly, touched you or did something in an inappropriate way, it wasn't God. It wasn't the sovereign will of God. It wasn't the sovereign will of God for someone to be raped or murdered or molested or uh, for marriages to break up and kids to go off into orphanages or homes. It wasn't the sovereign will of God. It was the will of flesh. It was the will of flesh, not the will of God. It was flesh. It was people. So um, God gave us this armor to help us fight. And we're going to look more into that armor next week. But I want to look first at in order to win our battles, we need to know who our enemy is and who he's not. Okay? He is not omnipresent. And, you know, reality is spirits are it's like animals. They're more afraid of us than we are of them. They're, they're afraid of the one that knows who they are. The one that doesn't know who they are, it's like a dog that can sense your fear. They're attracted to that, that dog. Like, I know which one to bite. I'm going to bite that one because that's the one that's afraid. And it's like that fear attracts the dog. A fear can track the demon. Hope I'm not, uh, you guys are okay. You're going to have to be okay because guess what? You're not coming to this church to sit on a pew and listen to stuff. You're coming to this church to be activated and trained to do the works of the ministry. Amen. It's not just to entertain you. It's to bless you and empower you because you're going to have fights. The evil day, it will come. It's not to scare you. You'll be prepared for it. You can be, it's predictable. It can, you can be spotted. You can see it coming and know how to stand your battle and fight the good fight of faith that you win. That you win, amen? He used to say this in Canada because we used to love watching hockey. And some of the best parts of hockey watching is the fights. <laughs> and the best part of the fights is if your favorite guy won, right? So anyway, uh, going back to our enemy. The devil, the Bible has a lot of names for our enemy in the Bible, Old and New Testament, a lot of names. He's called the devil, the accuser, and the slanderer. He's called Satan, adversary or arch enemy of good. He's called Lucifer, the morning star. He's called Beelzebub, the dung god. This one, I don't know. I don't know if that's one you want to boast about or whatever. Like, yeah, you can have the poop all you want to, okay? I don't like, like, like the dung god? I mean, I don't know. That, that's what it really means. I'm just like, I'm not impressed with that one. I'm just like, okay. Uh, it's like Lord of the Flies kind of thing there. So, um, biela, it means worthlessness, hopeless, ruin, extreme wickedness, or destruction. Uh, there's actual spirits that can cause you to feel certain ways. Worthless, hopeless. There's no hope in your life, okay? There's Abad Abaddon, is in Hebrew, and Apollyon in the Greek, and it means the destroying angel or the destroyer. He's called the old serpent. He's called a dragon 13 times in Revelation alone. Uh, prince of demons, prince and power of the air, the god of this world, small g, ruler of the world, ruler of darkness, the wicked one, father of lies, accuser, false accuser, Oppression, complainant at law, 
angel of the bottomless pit or angel of the abyss, murderer and thief. I have a quiz for you guys at the end of the message today to see how many of those you remembered. But when you see those words and you look at them, you can hear them again online or you can get the notes if you want to. I'll share them with you. But uh, you look at these words. These are the type of strategies, methods, attacks he has planned against all of us. And it could be predictable. He's going to try to make you feel like you stink. I say suck, but some people don't like when I say that. So I, I just said it. So sorry. <laughs> But that was, that was just my, that, uh, that was what I battled with. I'm just deep, deep down, that shame and stuff. I just, I went to Dick Robinson for deliverance one time, and he said, what, what is the deep feeling of your heart? And I said, I, just being honest, I just feel like I suck. And he's like, at what? Like everything, just everything. Well, it wasn't true. I was good at some stuff, but I just, that's how I felt about me. And it was, it was demonic stuff. It was this, these words here. This accuser, this worthlessness, this all those things, this strategic attack against my life and my thought life, how I thought and thought about myself, others, and God, and it affected me in a lot of ways. But once I realized who I was in Christ, those things fell off me like nothing. Amen? So all these names are descriptions of the enemy and the ways he tries to get at us. And our enemy, we know he's crafty, he's cunning, he's subtle, he's sneaky like we see in the Garden of Garden of Eden. But one key verse I want to say about him, the thief comes, John 10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy. Anything in your life that's stealing, killing, and destroying, that's the devil's autograph. That's his signature. That's, that's how the ding, 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 that's the flashing light signal. You'll know like, oh man, this didn't come from God. This here, that, that's stealing something from me. It's killing something from me. That didn't come from God. So the devil's ultimate plan is to steal, kill, and destroy things in our life. He wants to steal our finances. He wants to steal our family inheritances. How many of you, don't put your hand up because uh, we don't want to know that too much, but how many of you have had a family inheritance stolen? I mean, I, I, I can think of two just in my family. I mean, it just, it, it's, it's a plan of the enemy to steal the blessing, the inheritance that belongs to us. Or our health, our peace, other things he tries to steal. The, he wants to destroy. He wants to destroy our marriages. He wants to destroy our families. He wants to destroy our relationships. He wants to destroy our churches. Amen? He wants to destroy those. And he wants to kill. He wants to kill the unity in the church. He wants to kill the unity in our home. He wants to kill our family connections and cause these fights and divisions and little, little words, little things that, that are said. And all of a sudden, you've got to make it into this big, huge thing. And now I can't speak to that side of the family anymore because they said this one little thing that hurt my feelings. Come on, guys. Get saved already. You're called to repent. You're called to forgive. You're called to walk in love in Jesus. Amen. You think his family said bad stuff about him? They came to lock him up and put him in a loony bin one day. At least, at least it seemed like it. That's the way I read it. He said, your mother and your, your, and your brothers out here, they come to get you to take you away. Now, either they're taking him to lunch or they're taking him. I don't know what they're taking. They want to take him somewhere. And it just that's the way I read it. Maybe that's not right. But anyway, they, they, a lot of people thought he was crazy. And he wasn't, Right. So he wants to kill unity in our church, in our homes. He wants to kill family connections. He wants to kill the move of God's spirit anywhere he can. And that's why we just, with, there's, there's a lot of things I was just like, ah, that's no big deal. I'm not going to fight about. Pastor Jeff in Rome told me, pick your battles as a pastor. Pick your battles, things you want to fight about. This is what I'm fighting for. It's the presence of God. I'm not going to ever change our church to be out by noon. I'm never going to change our church to be all whatever. It's going to be, God, what you say is what we're going to do. 
That's just, that's just me. I mean, that's what I feel like God's called me to do. But the, the devil wants to steal the move of the Spirit because it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by the Spirit of God you're going to get release and freedom and healing and uh, the presence of God and you feel the Father's love of God. All those things happen in God's presence. Amen? Not when you're on a time clock. We've got to be out of here by noon because there's football. Well, I like football too, but I like Jesus a little more than football. And, and uh, Jesus did a whole lot more for me than the Panthers ever have, that's for sure. So, uh, or any other football team, even Tom Brady. So, um, so, uh, so if in order to steal, kill, or destroy from somebody or something, it takes actual strategic planning to do that. You know, real thieves that are you know, good at what they do, they actually have, you watch those movies and show like Italian Job and uh, Ocean's Eleven and stuff like that, they actually come with really detailed plans of how they're going to get away with these crimes. They don't just say, I think I'll go rob the bank. Well, guess what? You're going to get shot. I mean, you, you just, you, this, that's not a good plan. So, you got, so if, I had a, if I wanted to steal something from one of you guys or want to steal from somebody that had getting money out of an ATM, I'd have to watch them carefully. I'd have to look around where the cameras are at, how much light, where the, where the uh, overhead lights are, just look for shadows in places. I'd be maybe wearing a mask, maybe some gloves, different things to try to make sure I'm not able to get my prints or my facial recognition off of something. And I haven't done this before, just so you know. Just, but, but, ha- but, but I have seen some movies, so I just... But you'd have to make a plan, is my point, and you'd have to, like, then you take this guy, you take the money, and you go. Like, or just go into your house to break into it. I wouldn't just show up one day and say, well, I'm going to break into their house, unless I was just crazy and I'm going to shoot you with a gun, and that's another whole plan. But for the, a smarter thief, they're going to hopefully wait till no one's home. And they're going, to, they're going to pick a time where maybe the neighbors are out of town or they see a bunch of stacked newspapers on the front steps or something. Then they've got to make a plan. I'm going to go through the window, go through the door. You're making these plans of how you're going to do it. And then once I steal this stuff, how am I getting it out of here? Where am I going to take it to? Who's going to buy it for me? How am I going to switch this stuff into cash? You have to make... Maybe I'm giving too much information. It's like you watch those, you watch those movies sometimes, and you're like, I think they're going to teach criminals how to do a better job of what they do. But, but anyway, what I'm saying, you have to make a plan. And so the devil has strategies, and he has plans that he's trying to do in our life. But the ultimate plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. But even in those plans, he has sub-plans of how he wants to do that. And some of those plans are unforgiveness, bitterness, and offense. That's one of them. There's some more I'll come to unforgiveness, bitterness, and offense. I think that's one of his best weapons. If he can get us to fight, if he can get us offended, if he can get us holding on to our pride and our egos and our arrogance and I'll never forgive, I'll never let this go, I'm going to hold this grudge against them for the next generation or ever, that is a plot from hell. You will never be led by the Spirit of God to hold a grudge. Never. It's your pride that wants to hold on to that. It's your pride. It's like, but it's not right. He did this. It isn't right they did do. That's why you need to forgive them. If it was right, you would have nothing to forgive, right? <laughs> this is too logical. Too they did something wrong. That's why you're ticked off, right? But we have to can't, but we did stuff wrong too, and Jesus forgave us. Amen? Think of this verse, 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes, or meaning they are predictable. We're not, we're not ignorant of things. We know it's coming. You are going to get offended at somebody at some point in time, so we might as well start practicing forgiveness now. Amen? I'm just saying you might as well do it because God's going to never, he's never going to lift his finger off that one. Every time you pray, like, hmm, 
Mm. This person's face going to come to your mind. Oh, not yet. Mm. Like, why do we got to hold on to it so long? Why do we? Even in marriages. Well, I forgave first last time. It's their turn. Like you got this little journal book of, okay, it was Joan said sorry first on this day. It's Joey's turn now to say he's sorry first. And most men know it's usually always their turn first to go. <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding, but <laughs> that's plain. But yeah, well, <laughs> my first amen today, that's great. But not over the right thing, but anyway. Uh, but unforgiveness and bitterness and offense it is a snare. It's a trick. And God uh, doesn't want us to live in the enemy's tricks and devices. It is normal. It is fleshy. It, it, is, it isn't right when people do bad things to us. But we're not going to get freedom from what they did to us by holding the grudge. We get freedom by releasing it to Jesus and receiving his love and grace and healing ministry to our own hearts from the offense they did to us. We're not saying what they did was right. We're saying, I'm choosing to cancel that debt. How about uh, other tactics? Division, fighting, arguing, and complaining. Man. I gotta stop. I think I'm feeling convicted. <laughs> like, not division, but fighting, arguing, and complaining. Man, it's hard not to complain sometimes. Man, we are so good at it. We'll complain over anything food, water, uh, power's off. Oh, man, it's cold. Oh, man, it's hot. Oh, man, it's raining. Oh, man, it's, it's no matter what. We're, no, we're never stinking happy. My gosh, it doesn't matter what it is. It has to be the absolute perfect day of your whole life for you to actually give that day a compliment. Something's wrong with that, right? I mean, you try to make it in one day good. Let's see how good you do it. You make the sun, moon, the stars hang in their spots. You make the, the, all that stuff happen, and let's see how good your day turns out, right? I think God deserves our praise every day, and we're not going to give it to him by our grumbling, complaining about the weather or about the weatherman or about sports, or about food, or about a restaurant, or about anything. He said do everything without grumbling, arguing, and complaining. So there's something to work on, amen? I just, I'll move on. <laughs> Didn't get any amens on that one, Joey. <laughs> so uh, Ephesians 4 says, Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. If you let the sun go down, you're still angry at your spouse, someone else, you haven't forgiven them for whatever reason. God's given you a little bit of grace period. It's the rest of that day. You got the rest of that day. And I've heard people take that very literally. I'm going to forgive you, but I still got a few hours left. Give me, give me some time. The sun's not quite down yet. It's not bedtime yet. I'm going to give me some more time. I want to brew in this for a little bit and stew in this for a little bit. But anyway, uh, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Newlyweds especially, guys. Never, all you guys, never go to bed angry. Not just at your spouse or them, but with anybody. With your boss. With me, if I said something you didn't like or whatever. I won't do it on purpose, but sometimes I do. I don't know. <laughs> it just comes out. I don't know if it's a gift or anyway. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is. But it's flesh or spirit. Some both sometimes. But anyway, but never go to bed angry at anyone. Because you are, you are giving He's, the devil's not taking it. You're giving it to him. Here, devil, you can take this. You can have it. I'm going to hold on to anger. You can keep this. You're actually my God, not God, because he told me not to, but I want to. So here, you're the God of this situation, and we're giving him this power in our life. It's a stronghold, a foothold. And guess what? You give him an inch, he wants to take a mile. He's not going to stop just there. First, you get angry at this person. It's going to go to this person, and this person, this person. Then your whole family is going to be known as an angry family. Generations until it gets broken, right? 
So we know he uses deception and trickery like, trickery like he used in the Garden of Eden. He challenges the things that God says in God's word to cause doubt and unbelief. We also know he tries to bind or blind the minds of unbelievers that can't see the gospel, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. So he uses all kinds of different tactics like this. But I want you to think about this. What do you think the devil's bullseye is? What do you think his actual bullseye, center bullseye is? I know obviously it's us. But what part of us do you think is actually his bullseye? Well, I'll the heart, exactly right. But what part of the heart? So our, our spirit is perfected forever. And he knows that. He probably knows it better than we do. It's perfected forever. For all time, your spirit, the born-again part of you, where Christ lives in you, that part is fin- it's a finished work of Jesus. There's nothing ever needs to be done there again. There's another part of our heart called the soul. And our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. And that part isn't so perfect just yet. That part's moving from glory to glory. That part's being transformed, like Romans 12, 2 talks about, as we look at the Word and look at Jesus, we be- as we hold Him, we become like Him. We- we're being transformed by the renewing of how we think but ourselves, others, and God. So um, since our spirits are perfected forever, the natural, logical target, I believe, more, even more than our bodies, is our soul. If the enemy can attack you in your mind, will, and emotions, he's going to actually be attacking your body at the same time because when you're attacked in those areas, it's going to weaken your frame. It's going to weaken your body. Stress weakens your body. All kinds of things weaken us. And they're weak. This, this part of his attack on us, and he can influence how you think, influence uh, how you believe, influence your emotions, he's winning this part of the war. That's what he's after. To him, that's a, that's a victory for him. If he can influence how you think, how you behave, and your emotions, how you feel about stuff, how you react to people, how you respond to people, if he can influence all that, he can sit back like, all right, I got this one. I'm moving on to the other one. They're going to do the rest themselves. They still think they're under the attack of the devil, and no, you've come in so much agreement with him, he doesn't even have to be there anymore. They just do, you just let him loose, and you're just doing your own thing now. Man, I'm preaching good, I just tell you that. <laughs> I'm just saying, um, none of the stuff I mean is a judgment against anybody. I'm saying, I've been there. I've done that. I have know that. And I, I've had to pray and ask God, like, why am I feeling this way? And guess what? I was hit by one of his arrows. Didn't recognize it. Didn't spot it. Didn't have my face shield up. Wasn't soaked in enough water or whatever extinguishes those flames. It, it's, it's still burning in there. Something happened in there. And I got to put it out with faith. Got to put it with faith. You know, I think we said this, said this last week, I want to say it again. I think sometimes we're looking for these big, huge attacks against us, and he's not even going for those things. He's going after the smaller ones. Like, and it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. He's going to go after your mind, your will, and emotions. So he can get you bound down there, struggling there, where you can't hardly have friends anymore. You can't ever go out anymore. You can't ever do this because they don't all agree with everything you say. You, you, you can't do anything anymore without feeling this anxiety, and panic. Well, guess what? There's, you've probably been under spiritual attack and you haven't known how to fight. But you don't have to stay that way, amen? You don't have to stay that way. So I believe the bullseye of the enemy's, is, the enemy's main target is our soul. So according to uh, Ephesians 6, he's shooting these arrows at us. And we have to block these arrows with faith, amen? If we don't have our shield of faith up, guess where he's going to hit? He's going to hit you. Anybody in war that had a shield in their hand would know to put it up. I wonder if I should put this up. Yeah, we should put it up. I and mean, You put it up by having the word of God in your heart. The very place he's aiming for is where you have to hide that word in your heart. Amen? So just because we cannot see these arrows he's shooting at you don't mean they're not powerful. 
don't mean they're not going to have some kind of damaging impact on our life. The devil uses lies, deceptions, and he uses these accusational thoughts and these negative feelings, and he fires these arrows at us to try to make us feel bad about ourselves, others, and God. And the main arrows I think he uses are arrows of doubt and unbelief, arrows of fear, and arrows of accusation. That's what I think his three main arrows are. So, for example, an arrow of, an arrow of doubt and unbelief might be, did God really say that? Did God really say this? Is God really going to protect you? Is God really going to help you? Is, you know, is God really going to heal you? Is God really going to provide for you? And he's shooting these arrows at us, and he's launching them at us, and this doubt's hitting our heart. Well, guess how you're going to put that out? With the word. He was like, I think he will. I hope he will. I think so. He did before, but I think he will this time. That's not going to work. Come on, somebody. It's not going to work. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God is going to come out of your mouth. It's a shield of faith, not doubt and unbelief. You want to put the fire out, you got to let that shield be soaked in the water, the washing of water of the Word of God. And it soaks in, like the Roman soldiers soaked those shields in water, so when the arrow hit it, it would, fire would go out. And you want to put the fire out, you're going to put it out with faith. Faith. How are you going to know if he's saying these stuff to you? Is God really going to do this or that? How are you going to know the word of God? It can't be, well, I think so. I hope so. Knock on wood. I hope so. I might, are you guys okay? Hope so. I hope so. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Another arrow is an uh, arrow of unbelief. It might feel something like this. Are you sure God really loves you? Are you sure God really forgave you? Are you sure that you're saved? Are you sure you're going to go to heaven when you die? Every one of you in here have heard, has heard probably all these things, if not, if, if, most of them, if not all of them, at some point. Because he's predictable. He's predictable. He has the same methods, plans, and strategies for all of us. He's trying to make you all doubt so you'll live without it. You'll doubt the, the faith in the resting place of heaven with Jesus because we're doubting what God's word says because we're having these arrows shot. We don't have our face showed up, and it's hitting us in our soul realm, and it's caused us to doubt God's word. Amen? Arrows of accusations. You might have heard this. You're not saved. Look at your life. Christians don't talk like that. Christians don't dress like that. Christians don't get angry like that. Christians don't have dirty thoughts like that. God couldn't forgive you. You have committed the unpardonable sin. I'm telling you, if you've heard that you committed the unpardonable sin, you didn't commit the unpardonable sin. Okay? That's a lie of the enemy trying to trick you and deceive you. If he can't take heaven from you, he wants to take heaven out of you while you're here. He doesn't want you to live in that peace realm that Jesus provided for you. If he can take it out of you here, torment you at least the 70, 80, 100 years you're here, then that's, that's, at least he's got that. Okay? It's, it's a sub-win for him. But you don't have to. You don't have to let him win any of those battles. And all those arrows I mentioned are dipped in poison of guilt, condemnation, and shame. Just make you uh, feel you're not good enough. You did this wrong. You did that wrong. And they're hitting your, you're hitting your soul. And it's affecting how you think. It's affecting how we talk to each other. It's affecting how we trust each other. It's affecting how we trust God because we got all these arrows stuck in us and they need to be pulled out in Jesus' name. Let the healing balm of Gilead heal our hearts and our souls. He is the lover of our souls. He loves even our mess. Even our soul that's still being dealt with and healed and being transformed. He even loves that about you. 
Now, he might say, next time, let's try to do this a little different. But guess what? He's still going to tell you in a loving way, and kind way, because he's just better than we are. He is. So these arrows are coming against us. They come against us, and they're very tormenting type thoughts. Very tormenting. They're nagging. They kind of just stick around and just have this feeling in the back of your heart or head, like, I wonder if I am saved. I wonder if I am. I wonder if God is really going to heal me. I wonder if he really does love me. I wonder if he really did forgive me. I know he did that guy. I know he did them, but did he do it for me? And I'm telling you, if you're feeling those things, there's one way to fix it. And there's only one way to fix it. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. What did God say? And we can't change it the way Eve did. We can't change it like anyone else did. We just, what did he say? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen? So one of the things I want to point out here, and I want to make a connection with guarding our hearts, like the Bible talks about doing, in spiritual warfare. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4, the same verse in the Passion Translation says, So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. I like the Passion Translation. They have a lot of stuff they add to it. They put uh, words they studied and added into it. But above all, guard your heart. Well, guess what the, the enemy's aiming for? Guess what the breastplate of righteousness is for? Guess what the shield of faith is for? It's to protect your identity, who you really are. Who you really are. Amen? So the word wellspring there, I'm almost done, if you guys are wondering. If you're not wondering, well, I'm almost done. Um, wellspring is the word, also can be the word for seasons, especially springtime. So God wants the seasons of our heart to be like springtime, where we're constantly growing in the things of Him. But it's going to happen for those that diligently guard their heart and uh, protect their heart against some of these evil things the enemy tries to send our way. Now look, you're not evil or bad because you get hit by a few arrows. You're actually really normal. And it's actually not even your fault. It's the church's fault. Just, just what's my personal opinion on that. Because we haven't done a good enough job teaching you about the spiritual realm that's real. It is real. I wish it wasn't sometimes. But it's the bad part of it. The good part I kind of like. The bad part's not so fun sometimes. But uh, God, the devil is after your peace. I don't know if we know... The power of peace. All the, thing, all the things that the, you know, in, uh, in Egypt, those demonic guys that served Pharaoh, they did a lot of the same things that Moses did with his staff. They, did, they made snakes. They did all this kind of things. And even today, there's, there's things that people use that can replicate things in the Christian life. Joy looks like a party and getting drunk and, you, and they have the beer commercials and they don't ever show them getting somebody pregnant or puking in the toilet. You know, they, but joy looks like it's the best looking guy or girl in the world jumping in the pool, splashing everywhere, and they're drinking the beer. That's the, that's the, that's the life and whatever. And uh, they, get, they show this joy. They, they replicate all these things. The one thing they can't replicate, no matter what, is peace. They can never replicate peace. No matter what, they, what drug they give you, what alcohol or wh- whatever addiction, whatever, anything, they cannot duplicate the peace that passes all of our understanding that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ the the devil can't replicate our peace but he's after your peace he's after it so three times Jesus said I mentioned this last week to the disciples after resurrection peace to you he just walked through a wall eating fish and walking through a wall and that's pretty cool uh and he's 
He's just alive, but he can walk through walls. That's going to be fun one day. So uh, don't try it now. Uh, but he walked, through, he walked through his wall, he's eating fish, and they're talking to him. And three times they're scared. It's a ghost, it's a ghost, whatever. And he said, peace to you, peace to you. When you go to someone's house, they said, say peace to them. So if you feel stirred up in your mind, will, and emotions where something's attacking your peace, it could be a method, a strategy of the enemy in your life to steal peace from you. He doesn't want you to enjoy the peace of Jesus. He doesn't want you to enjoy anything. But you know what? I don't really care what the devil wants. and I don't care what he likes. I care what God says, and I want to keep everything he paid for for me. If he gave me peace, I want to keep it. And if I want to keep it, i got to use my shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. i got to let the word come out of my mouth. Amen? I'm going to close this verse. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. Man, it's the word shalom. Look it up. Look it up. Peace I leave with you. My peace. There would be never anyone who walked on the earth with peace like Jesus. So much peace he could take a nap in the storm. They wake him up and say, ah, peace be still. And the peace he carried affected the storms around him, even canceling storms out. He carried peace and he said, my peace that I have, I'm giving it to you. I want you to keep it. It's not as the world gives, I give to you. Meaning he's not going to give it to you and keep taking it back. You're going to give it to you. It's yours to keep. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This is part of our spiritual warfare, is to, above all else, guard our hearts from the things that steal our peace, that steal our joy, that steal the things that God paid so much for us to have. Amen? But if you want to walk in the things of God, you've got to do things God's way, which means you've got to walk in forgiveness. You've got to walk in mercy. You gotta walk in faith. You gotta walk in love. You have to give, return uh, good for evil. You have to do the things that Jesus asked us to do. It isn't a blanket thing. If you go to church, all the blessings belong to you. It doesn't work that way. Anybody can walk through this door. You have to exercise the spiritual principles of the Bible in your own life to see the things of the Bible that He promises us to happen in your life. Okay? You're not gonna get blessed because your parents forgave somebody, even though that is a good thing. You'll be blessed when you forgive somebody. And cancel it. Amen? So why don't you stand up? I'm going to share next week more about, that was more of the, the problem, the solution, or this problem of recognizing and things like that. Next week I'll look into more of the solution of how we actually fight some of these battles and try to get into some specific things and examples. So God, I thank you. We are not ignorant of the things of God. You gave us your word to teach us, to train us, to disciple us, to equip us, that we would walk in the things of God. And we have the ultimate teacher living on the inside of us, Holy Spirit. And God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for spiritual protection on us because of Jesus. Yes, Lord. A thousand may fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand, but it will not come near my dwelling place. That's confessing the word out of your mouth is spiritual warfare. It's confessing. What did God say? What's his word say? So God, we thank you. You are good. Your love, your mercy endures forever. And I pray, Lord, if there is anyone here that needs to forgive somebody, they forgive. If there's grudges they're holding on to something, they'll let it go and trust you with the outcome. Yes, Lord.
If someone was traumatized by something bad that happened to them, I pray that trauma would lift in Jesus' name. And I pray for just an increased level of peace to come. And we would do a good job, each of us, protect our hearts and keep our peace. God, we thank you for your goodness and your love in our lives. Amen. 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 You guys can have a seat. Uh, we're going to have a, a vote. There's, don't forget tonight, we also have our community worship night. We're going to have a, a vote real quick for members only. You're welcome to stick around if you want to. This won't take long.